When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Morning New Zealand, 9.03 here on SENZ Mornings uh, through to midday. Uh, we've got uh, quite a busy morning for you and uh, quite interesting that we're uh, going to delve into areas that we uh, have not perhaps before, including how do you make a cricket pitch? Uh, more to the point, how do you make two in a row of test match quality on the same block? Well, Rupert Ball is the uh, head groundsman at Hagley Oval. They call them curators, I think, in Australia. I think we call them groundsmen still. Uh, yeah, so Rupert, we'll, we'll chat, up, uh, chat with him very shortly, actually. Uh, Tom Murray. Uh, Tom Murray is a rower. Tom Murray is the rower that sat in front of Hamish Bond to win the gold in the eights. Tom Murray knows all about Hamish Bond. Uh, so we will catch up with him uh, around 9.30. Uh, Going to uh, talk about uh, cricket after 10 o'clock. Women's cricket in particular, hopefully. Uh, what about the rise of the Otago Sparks? Hardly win a game, and now they're in the grand final. Incredible turnaround. Ross Carl, Jordan Oppert will be with us as our panel this morning. Uh, we'll speak to Louis, of course, and the TAB just prior to 11 o'clock. Uh, Corey Jane, uh, of course, uh, coaching assistant coach of the Hurricanes. Where are they at? It's only three weeks away. Three weeks away, I think, until they play the Crusaders. Uh, are they primed and ready to go? So much focus on the Crusaders and the Blues' back line. How about the Hurricanes' back line? Uh, pacing for purpose uh, at 11 for 20. Mick Guerin after uh, 11.40 and we'll squeeze into a stumped uh, smithy option around about 11.30 to get you some money for the weekend. Sport is our religion and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, there's uh, not a hell of a lot to say that hasn't already been written or said about Hamish Bond. The record is etched for all time, pound for pound, and he carried less than most. Perhaps one of the greatest rowers of all time, certainly they say top five. Ability and attitude. The ability to go about the job and perform it. And the attitude, the manner you go about the task and deliver. Unwavering, they say. In his own words, rowing for the bulk of my career has defined me as a person. I now have my family and other priorities and it feels like the right move to make. He's a bona fide, absolute 35-year-old legend. And interesting to read the thoughts too of Eric Murray, also a legend, that Bond had nerves and trepidation. We never saw that. Worry and anxiety about performance. We only ever saw excellence in performance and medal ceremonies. Unbeaten the pair against all comers, staggering with all that can go wrong on the day. Mind-blowing, actually. You know you are imposing 
when the others change direction within their sport to avoid you. Change events to try and shake off that feeling of always being second best. They call that submission. The job offers will flow in. Hamish, the speaking circuit beckons all in good time, but he's a family man first. I'll bet he even knows at 35 the challenges are far from over and men like Hamish Bond attitude and drive seldom retire. Job-wise, well, what could he do? I mean, he's got a track record of success, a history of attitude and drive and determination, the ability to plan and deliver and inspire, and what's more, he's got the respect of all New Zealanders. He's a natural-born leader. Wonder if he fancies shifting to Wellington. Well, it was a great day for Canterbury Cricket yesterday. They had plenty of them. Not only did the Kings beat Wellington to reach the Super Smash final, but uh, the City of Christchurch also took a test match off the capital. So Hagley Oval will now host both test matches against South Africa next month. That means twice the work for our first guest this morning, Hagley Oval head groundsman Rupert Ball. Rupert, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Morning, Smithy. Thanks for having me. Uh, look, hey, just first of all, uh, Hagley Park itself is such a huge expanse and they play a lot of cricket on the out, outer ovals and things like that. Is your responsibility stretched that far or are you solely within the perimeter of Hagley Oval itself? No, no, we do we do all of the the wider 170 hectares of Hagley Park, including you know the turf and the Botanic Gardens and Central City, Mona Vale and, and those areas as well. So we've got a, a pretty vast team that covers a lot of area in the park. So how many staff? Yeah, so, um, we run about 12 staff in the Hag- Hagley Park facility, and then we've got a, another crew that look after the Napunawai Athletics facility there with. Um, rugby league fields and the other sand carpet premier kind of sports fields around the city. So in all in all, there's about about 16 or 17 of us in our team. Cool. So, uh, yeah, Rupert, yeah, um, team. yeah, yeah, it is. Three tests uh, in six weeks. Normally you're looking at perhaps one, maybe two in a whole cricket season, but three in six weeks, exciting, but really challenging for you. Oh, extremely challenging, but yeah, I think you're you're right with the exciting part. It's you know it's a real privilege to prepare Test match wickets, and we're you know really lucky to get one you know at the start of the season or two at the start of the season anyway. So to have this one thrown in amongst the crazy times we're you know we're living in now is is pretty exciting. But you're like say um, there's a, a bit of work to do. I don't think um, I've informed yesterday that we haven't had back to back Test matches at the same venue since 1930 at Eden Park. Um, against England, so it's a pretty unique situation to be in, and hopefully we can kind of deliver two good pitches. Right, people that perhaps don't know too much about cricket pitches or blocks, we're going to edu- try and educate them in the next uh, few minutes anyway, <laughs> uh, Rupert, with, with your help. So how many cricket pitches can you make on the block in the middle of Hagley Oval? How many can you make in a season? Uh, we've got 11, 11 pitches on the block um, that are all you know, fit for purpose for maximum size boundaries. So we've got a, a fairly big playing surface. Um, and we generally use every single pitch on the block through, you know, Plunkett Shield, Ford Trophy, Super Smash and Internationals and some community club cricket thrown in there um, when we've got extra windows. So um, we were lucky enough to have a have a pitch there ready to go that's worked out really well with, you know, them trying to minimise the risk that we had a spare pitch that we could 
accommodate two tests and the and the upcoming Women's World Cup as well. Some test uh, cricket blocks will have different kinds of soil. Um, you know that that's just their constitution and the delivery had made that way. Is that the case with yours, or, or is your soil constant for the the entire block? We have um, all of we've we've got ten strips of Kakanui clay, um, but we have been trialling a a new clay which we call the Robins, um, named after Mike Robbins, who's kind of invented this clay that we're trialling. So it's been in the block for a couple of years, and we're just trying to learn more about different clays and what they might do. I mean. With our climate, we're always trying to get a little bit more creative what pitches can break up or, you know, do something slightly different or add, add a different element to the game. So we're, we're trying to learn a little bit more about different clays and we're, you know, in the process of exploring some different pockets of the country to look for, for different sources of clay as well. So we don't want to just rest on what we've got. We're trying to get better at what we do and, and look for different sources as well. But, yeah, all so, those wickets and yeah. stuff is going to be kakanui. Sorry. So, so Rupert, Hagley Oval, um, the pitches we've seen, I guess predominantly have had a, a relatively green tinge to them. Um, is that what we're expecting perhaps for the Proteas this far out? Yeah, I guess um, our stock standard pitches, you know, generally have to go on looking reasonably green to try and create that, that pace and bounce, which, um, you know, which we're after. Um, but yeah, like the second test is going to be reasonably challenging because we, we won't be able to put as much water into that into that surface while the test the first test match is going on, so we've got the three day window to try and tweak and, and get that second pitch um, where it should be, and obviously weather conditions will play a big part on how that that second pitch plays. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point there because normally throughout the day um, when there's no cricket around, you've got free access to everything, you can do what you like. But uh, when they're playing um, a test match uh, um, on one pitch and two or three pitches across, you've got another one looming. I mean, you just can't get it. So first of all, how do you protect that surface? Because you don't want it to be scarred or scratched up too much going into the, the new test. How do you protect it? And how how are you able to work on it? Um, we're not planning on putting any covers or anything protective-wise on it. We're just going to hopefully try and prepare both surfaces at the same at the same time and be able to just try to hold that second one over and and keep it in the right state. So it's obviously not too soft. So like you say, we don't get that scarring, but it's also kind of ready to go and we can just tweak that final kind of surface to get to get where we need to be. But the base the base cap action will be kind of prepared at a similar time as the first one and just kind of hold everything over. That's the plan at this stage. We've done it a couple of times with Plunkett Shield games um, reasonably successfully with back-to-back games. So hopefully we can use, you know, we've got a really knowledgeable and passionate turf team there that hopefully will, will make it make it happen. I suppose during the lunch break you could give uh, give it half an hour of rolling um, and then of course you get straight on afterwards. Is, is, is that an opportunity? Yeah, that, that will be an option. Um, typically we we try and avoid rolling in the middle of the day because we can lose, not lose grass cover, but you can brown off the surface really quickly and you can change the colour of the grass and grass strength. So the majority of the work will probably be done um, in the mornings of the test match and at the end of the day uh, the fourth umpire comes out and we're allowed to kind of give the test pitch a wee syringe once of water once the, the cover's on the on the actual playing surface itself so we're allowed to put a little bit of water on throughout the test match which will be help, helpful Okay, and, uh, it's interesting now um, is it possible 
uh, to age a test pitch before the game even starts, if, if you get my drift. I mean, we see it overseas, is that, you know, that where test pitches don't have grass. I mean, that may be soil content, it might be whatever, but in New Zealand we traditionally have grass. But is it possible, Rupert, for you to age a pitch before the game even starts? I mean, that, that will potentially happen if we get, um, you know, some, some hot days during the test match and we aren't allowed to put on, you know, the kind of water we would normally and there's some running over it, you know, and it's a little weird here of the players, you know, fielding stuff. There will, there will be some natural ageing of, of the surface that you wouldn't get for a, just a one-off test match. So it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how it, how it goes. And I guess, you know, we're even a little bit unsure how that's, how that's going to play out. And a, a lot will come down to, to the weather conditions. If we get some mild days, it probably won't change too much. But if, we're, if we have some good hot weather, then you know, it will be very interesting to see how it goes. Here's a myth that I'd like you to squash or confirm. Uh, <laughs> are you encouraged to make a certain style of pitch by home people? <laughs> I probably don't want to get myself in trouble here. Um, I think we're encouraged <laughs> to prepare a wicket that's um, suitable to our natural climate, and that's kind of what we do. Um, you know, we're limited with, with our weather conditions and our soil types and our grass types with what we can deliver. Um, and we just try and deliver the best pitch we can with, with the most pace and bounce. And I think, you know, the Black Caps have had a lot of success at Hagley, so we kind of want to stick to that recipe to, you know, see some positive results. So what, I, what I'm basically saying is Gary Stead's phone <laughs> number's not on your phone. It's not on your phone, is it? <laughs> Um, yes, it is on my phone, but yeah, yeah, it's, there's, there's, um, there's not really, you know, like a forced line from New Zealand cricket in terms of, you know, you must prepare this surface. Um, there's dialogue in terms of first class cricket in terms of what, you know, high performance units are trying to see out of pitches. So, you know, pace and bounce is just, is just the mantra really for, for New Zealand cricket at the moment. Uh, the interesting thing about this series too, uh, Rupert, and you know, you know your cricket as well, obviously, as well as your pitches, but South Africa have got a great pace attack as well. So traditionally, this could be fire against fire. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I watched a lot of the uh, South Africa Indian series and you now they've got some, the new left arm quick who's as tall as Cole Jameson and Nokia's back, I think. So they're, they're going to be um, Rabada. You know, they've got, a, they've got a quality fast bowling lineup. So it's going to be... Really exciting to watch, actually, and you know it's going to be cool to watch back-to-back tests and enjoy the cricket. Well, now the other thing, of course, uh, you've got coming up, which is going to have uh, place a lot of emphasis on on what you prepare is uh, the Women's World Cup. You're hosting the final, a semi-final, as well as pool games. A lot of traffic on uh, on that particular surface, that block. It's going to be so busy this year. So, uh, man, that that's and all of a sudden you're talking a, a, a different form of cricket. We're talking limited overs cricket. So. Uh, there again, how do you prepare the perfect surface for limited overs cricket as opposed to starting a test match? Do you have a, uh, an absolute theory on that or is it climate governed again? Um, it's a little bit climate governed, but we can go a little bit harder with, with our one day and T20 surfaces in terms of um, rolling and um, doing the extra stuff because it doesn't matter so much if the grass is bruised off and brown and that's kind of preferable for... Um, obviously, short format games, um, but for the for the test match, you've got to be really careful about the times of rolling, so you don't, you know, overdo it too much. So there's, there's a little bit the the base concept for the the wickets are the same. You're still trying to keep the moisture, 
keep the compaction and get as much pace and bounce for both surfaces, but obviously you want it to do a little bit more for a, for a test match. Hey, well, Rupert, yeah, it's been it's really great cool. catching up with this. It's been a great education for me, actually. I've been around cricket for a long time, but it's always a bit of a myth, making cricket pitches. Uh, I've never been one to be able to read them. Uh, if, if they're green, I assume they're going to seam, and if they're brown, I assume they're going to turn. I mean, that, that's about my uh, level of education in it, but uh, I've got to say, the ones that you come up with are result pitches, and I like that because cricket needs that, so... Uh, keep up the good work, and uh, I'll be very interested to see how you can prepare two, uh, three days apart, and uh, it's a real challenge for any groundsman around the world. And as you say, I don't think I can recall too many. Uh, 1930 in this country, I don't even recall too many around the world. So uh, good luck with the challenge, mate, and thanks for talking to us. No problem. Thanks very much. Cheers. Uh, Rupert Bull here, who is preparing both test pitches against uh, South Africa, and they will be a matter of metres apart. That's all, uh, because uh, with Test Cricket, basically, you're looking at uh, two services in the middle of the block, uh, because that uh, gives you equal boundaries on each side, and of course, uh, the importance then, you, you also have to notify the television companies, because they've got to set up their scaffolds, etc., uh, to align their cameras down the pitch, so you know, you have to, and, and you can't have them too far away from each other, so... Uh, it's a lot of work in, involved, and I can tell you, um, you know, when people fielding close to the wicket, uh, those guys that field at short leg, at cover and etc., they come screaming in and, you know, they scar the pit. Those are the things you dread as a groundsman because you want your pitch on the first morning to look absolutely pristine and you just do not want <laughs> all the scarring or evidence of uh, traffic on it before a ball is bowled. So I uh, wish them all the best. Challenge, real challenge. Um, so uh, yeah, I think I, I think you do a good job. They, they're good pitches down there. Nine nineteen here on SENZ. I, I think we can have some uh, reflections on on perhaps uh, Hamish Bond. Um, you know, uh, twenty four hours just about since he announced his retirement. I imagine you've thought about it at some stage uh, during those twenty four hours. So uh, would be great to to hear your thoughts uh, on uh, Hamish Bond. Uh, just where does he rank for you in terms of Olympians? And a great New Zealand sportsman. 9.20. It's mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. 25 past nine. And uh, on the line from Dunedin. Uh, good morning to you, Dino. And happy New Year. Same to you, Smithy. Um, hopefully the year pans out a bit better than she's now started down here with being in some sort of traffic-like system. But we won't go there. The Hamish Bond thing mm. you're asking questions about, I think, Every now and then in your life, watching sport, you're privileged to see someone come along that is just special. Now, what I mean by that is obviously he's got incredible talent, but when he jumped out of the boat with his good mate and then decided to jump on a bicycle, I thought, what's this guy doing? But he still got the job done. And then for me, what it was on the news last night and the guy that was talking to him about his retirement said you know you're not going to take the credit for the eight but we all know that his belief drive and desire to get something that is like that's that's the Everest of rowing the single skulls is up there as well but everyone knows the eight is like the 100 meter men's and women's final so to go out winning that I always put tears in my eyes talking to you about it Cedric, brutally honest and then another thing I think we've got coming up that could be just as special and I'm so pleased like I was really worried when Roger decided he was coming to rugby union and 
I thought he was going to have a go at fullback. The fact that he's having a crack at 12, and the way he spoke, and the way that his coach, can't think of his name now, Rangi, just sat there and smiled, this could be something really, really special. And Sonny Ball Williams is there helping him. And I, I think Sonny, I never rated him like everyone else did as a, as a player. I loved his training. I love his professionalism. And to teach young Pacific Islanders as a role model the right and wrong way to go about things and preparation and that, hand on heart to him. And if he's helping Roger, that I don't even honestly believe he needs that kind of help. I think he's driven and motivated enough. His desire, training the hours he's training to prove to himself, first and foremost, that he is going to be a sensational 12. I'll say it right now, mate. He is going to be right up there. Ma'anonu for me, nothing comes close. But this kid has got a different skill set to Ma. But I think, hopefully injuries don't get him, but if we see four years out of this kid, we might see something incredibly special. Well, um, thanks very much for those reflections, Dean. It's always great to hear from you as a a quintessential New Zealand sports fan and your observations of uh, all those three uh, characters, those gentlemen that you've just spoken, uh, are absolutely right on the money. I I mean, I I firmly believe uh, that uh, the Blues uh, and Roger Tuivasa-Shekham are made for each other. I think they'll be hanging out for this. And, uh, you know, I've never seen him play rugby. I mean, I've admired his ability to play uh, rugby league, of course, uh, Dean, but uh, I'm excited about it too because they were talking about uh, just uh, easing him into it, weren't they, on the wing? Uh, not that it's an easy position, but easing him in in terms of tactics and things, and now he's going to be driving that uh, at second five eight as well. So, uh, And I'm not surprised that um, Rangi or uh, uh, <laughs> um, Leon McDonald was actually smiling. Uh, he's got an asset. Uh, perhaps a little bit better when, uh, than when uh, J.K. was handed Benji Marshall on the plate. Maybe. Uh, thanks very much, Dean, for your call anyway. Uh, 9.28 here on SENZ. And I know, John Day, you are absolutely brimming about the prospect. Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced that Roger will be a, a great rugby player. And I, I know they had a bit of fun at yesterday's press conference. We finally got to hear him talk, and that was cool. But um, he actually did something that Staffy did to Jeremy Paul last year and had three words that he had to use during the press conference, uh, which he did. I think one was hippopotamus. Uh, I think one was Nicholas Cage. <laughs> and oh, discombobulate was the other word. What? And he all yep, he used them all during yesterday's press conference, so that might have been why Leon McDonald was smiling as well, because not only is a, he's a serious guy and he wants to do well in rugby, but he wants to have fun at the same time, and looks like they're allowing him to do that at the Blues, which is pretty cool as well. Well, it looks like uh, we've been waiting for to hear from him, waiting to see him at a press conference. It looks like he's got to be a lot of fun uh, in that capacity as well. And the, uh, the ability to communicate rugby, uh, sometimes it's just as important from uh, those superstars as it is to play it. So we'll see. Um, looking good anyway. And may injury stay so far away from him and all rugby teams actually this year. That would be nice. That would be a nice New Year's wish, wouldn't it, that uh, rugby teams remain relatively injury-free. Can't see it happening with the physicality. 9.30 here. On SENZ, time for the news.
Yes, it was a massive day for New Zealand sport and uh, in particular rowing yesterday when uh, one Hamish Bond announced he'd no longer be rowing for New Zealand. The 35-year-old became the first Kiwi male to win three gold medals in successive Olympics when the men's eight won the title in Tokyo last year. One of the highlights, without doubt, of those Tokyo games from our point of view. Uh, the man just uh, in front of Bond in the boat, well, it's Tom Murray on that occasion. Uh, he won't be there anymore, of course, because Bond won't be. Uh, he joins us now. Tom, thanks very much for your time this morning. First of all, uh, a lot has been said about uh, Hamish, uh, but what kind of words come to mind when you think about him as a teammate? Yeah, um, dedicated is, is definitely one, and you don't even need to be in the boat with him to for that word to spring to mind, just to know what he's what he's accomplished, uh, definitely dedicated, uh, inspirational, especially for somebody else in the sport, um, in the sport of rowing like him, just to, I guess, get a sense of how much time and effort he's put into the sport over the years. Uh, so to to be a part of, I guess, the, the end of that career has been really special for not just me, but the, the guys around him as well. And I would imagine, I mean, we as uh, looking on, we don't go to training. Uh, we don't get up first thing in the morning and, and watch you guys at work. But I'd say they're the, they're the more difficult times. We see the race, uh, you know, the pinnacle of the thing. But, I mean, a guy like Hamish Bond's getting out of bed to do it. I suppose uh, you're driven to, to do it day after day yourself in a certain way. Yeah, there's definitely definitely points where it's, it's more difficult than others. Uh, you sort of really only ever spend a very small amount of your time at a at a pinnacle event and it's much like the iceberg analogy, everybody mainly sees the just the tip and there's so much more under the water. Um and so to to be a part of a crew definitely helps. Uh the crew can't train if if you're missing even just one person. So there's definitely that drive to get up in the morning so you're not letting the letting the team down. Well, he's obviously quite an influential person to talk to as well because uh, along with Michael Brake, you're, you're world champions, uh, you know, and all of a sudden he's convinced you to uh, hop across to uh, the eight. How did, the, how did that conversation go? Was it a long process? <laughs> uh, it's really interesting listening to everybody uh, talk through podcasts and interviews since the Olympics because everybody seems to have a slightly different uh, interpretation of what happened. Uh, so it's really cool to, over the next uh, few months, we're doing a bit of a speaking circuit down the country as an eight to, to sort of unwind that. But for us, uh, for me at least, in the pier, it definitely wasn't a, a, a quick decision. We were leaving a qualified boat and and thinking of joining an unqualified boat that that included challenges such as leaving the country during a, a global pandemic, heading to Switzerland just to qualify the boat, and then it would include coming back through MIQ for two weeks, less, oh, just over a month out from the Olympics. Uh, so those aren't small challenges to to take into consideration. And, and looking back, <laughs> uh, it was quite quite a momentous. And it will be, it's one of those decisions you look back on for for the rest of our lives is to wonder what would have happened if um, if we'd chosen otherwise. But coming away with a goal that's looking back, it's, it was the right decision. Uh, but definitely, no, definitely uh, a few chats over coffee with, with Hamish Bond to try and um, 
try and win us over. It's a, it's a great story, and, and as you say, a terrific ending to a, a great story. Uh, what what uh, what about sort of uh, an hour out, uh, half an hour out from a race? I mean, we're hearing reports that he was actually quite a nervous um, type of a, a person when we you get the feeling that he had pretty much everything under control once he hopped on the boat. But what about his presence pre-race? Did he say much? Um. Yeah, everybody's sort of sort of trying to judge the line between nervous babbling and, and talking too much and then sort of shutting down and, and keeping it too much to yourself. But that's one of the really cool things about an eight is that you have nine different personalities in there uh, with the coxswain and you can sort of share, share that load. Hamish, um, I guess the biggest thing is, is the confidence that he brings. Uh, whether he's confident in himself or not isn't what I mean. It's the confidence that we can take, knowing that he's been here, he's done that, he, he knows what he's doing, and we've sort of we've put the training in alongside him, and we've to do what he's done along the way. And it's it's that confidence heading into a major event like that. It lets you really enjoy the moment, as opposed to to wonder whether you've done the work or not. So, um, yeah, a really a really quite confidence that's that's exuded by him as we were down in the in the bay five minutes before we were getting on the water what about actually if you could take us through that race i mean i, I know that it's the job of the of the cox to cox and to inspire you or to, to read the race and ask for more effort and that sort of thing and lift your your stroke rate etc but uh, i mean uh are you? I know you're sitting in front of him. What kind of presence did you have? What feeling did you have knowing he was right behind you? Could you hear anything? Could you, uh, you know, could you could you notice the lift um, from from where you were? Um, I would love to say that the race was a it was a perfect race. It's always at those uh, those pinnacle events, especially at the Olympics. You really want to put down your very best best race on the on the final. Whereas I can't. I can't say that was the case. There were a couple of points along the way where I guess we were seconds from disaster and it was at one of the later stages of the race where uh, Hamish, it wasn't wasn't so much a call or a technical call. Uh, yeah, it seems like uh, we've just lost... Uh Tom Murray for the moment, right in the middle of uh, where I was hoping um, uh, he was going to give us something there about uh, Hamish. But we can try and get him back, um, try and get him back on the line and, and see if uh, he's able to able to uh, to finish that story because it uh, sounds like it's about to be very fascinating indeed. So uh, talking to Tom Murray, um, he was uh, sixth in the boat. Uh, yeah, sit number six spot, and then uh, Hamish yep. Bond, and then of course Tom Tom McIntosh. Tom, uh, welcome back. Yeah, you're just saying about, oh, the, about the race and how it actually panned out. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I started off saying um, I would love to say that it was our perfect race. It's it's something you always want to aim for, and you always do aim for is to have that perfect race when it counts. Um, but it was by no means a, a perfect race, and there were a couple of moments there uh, where we were actually seconds from complete disaster. So it was in one of those moments in sort of the last last quarter of the race uh, where, where I guess um, I felt the biggest impact 
uh, was when Hamish let out. Uh, it, w- it wasn't words. It was it was just raw noise coming into that last quarter, um, bringing us all onto the same page and and letting everybody know that he was going. And at that point, um, there's such a, a such a bond in the aid and a, and a sense of camaraderie that nobody's ever going to go by themselves. So so knowing that he was he was putting it all on the line there was um, it was a really powerful moment, especially when at that point of the race uh, you're, you're you're starting to lose the the, the edges of your vision um, and everything's starting to slowly shut down on you. So to to um, to sort of be right in front of him there and have him right at my ear was was really cool. Uh, you're only 27 at, at the stage yourself, uh, Tom. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, a huge, a huge seat in the boat to to fill now. But uh, from a personal point of view, uh, how's how's the group looking? Have you have you talked now? Have you had a, a sense of of uh, commitment to what uh, you know? Maybe Paris that far out yet? Have you had those conversations? Um, it was not the usual, I guess, debrief uh, with the eight as we came back from MIQ. We had one day out of MIQ, then we were straight into a a national lockdown, so we we never had that um, that group discussion. Whereas I guess they're more slowly slowly starting to happen on more individual levels. Where we've had about half the crew now uh, sort of bow out or, or thinking about taking some time off. And for me, I'm definitely looking to to Paris. Uh, maybe not so much in the eight at the moment, but looking at the single. Right. So a bit of a a bit of a change of scenery there. That's interesting because, uh, of course, you've been so successful in the pairs, your, your national titles from 216 to 219, and now, of course, the eight. So uh, changing to, what, what's the biggest, uh, I guess, the biggest difference and the biggest uh, technical side of thing to go from the big boat to by, being by yourself? Uh, there's, it is, there's real challenges in, in every single boat class. It's in my opinion, very hard to choose the hardest boat to row. Uh, in the eight, the challenges are trying to align nine, ten different, including coaches as well, trying to align nine different ideas and personalities and trying to get everybody firing on the same day is a, is a huge, uh, a really huge challenge. Whereas in the single, uh, you don't have other people to bounce off. You don't have well, you quite often don't have um, people alongside you, so it's it's a lot more internal as opposed to a slightly more external in, uh, in a bigger boat where so you can feed off others. But I've been in crew boats my entire rowing career, so it's been a really uh, necessary refresh uh, those the last five years in the, in the pier and in the eight uh, with the extended extended cycle with, with COVID uh, has taken a huge toll on everybody. So the change of scenery, uh, change of challenges is for a really different perspective to the sport for me. Tom Murray, we're, we're talking to you. Just finally, uh, Tom, um, Hamish Bond said yesterday, if uh, I look like I'm going anywhere near a boat, I need a lot of people to stand in my way and keep me away from it. Uh, initially, he wants to go and do the family, the family thing, which you can't blame him for, but... I mean, here's a guy who uh, everything he touches sort of uh, turns to, literally turns to gold, or in, in cycling anyway, it turns to bronze. But 
Um, do you see him being able to walk away, knowing his passion for Ryan, do you see him be able to walk away completely? In your opinion, will we see him back in some non-participating capacity at some point? Um, very hard to, to tell. Whether he's back at rowing or not, he's sure to be doing something physical and, and at the highest degree. That's just the, the guy that he is. And if he doesn't end up back in the boat himself, it would be good to, to sort of have his experience in, in other capacities. Uh, that's, that's a huge depth of knowledge and experience um, in, in, one, in one person. So to, he was able to spread a lot of that out in the eight. So as far as our rowing program goes, even though he's, he's not here, he's, he has left a, a lot behind for us. And so the same with all of those, those older experienced rowers, it's, it's always good to, always exciting to have them stick around in some capacity. But uh, as soon as he, he finds something um, to sink his teeth into, he, he doesn't hold back. So I'm sure whatever he does next, it will be again turning something into gold for sure. Tom Murray, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you, mate. I mean, I know uh, no one else will ever will sit in the seat in the Olympic uh, 8 uh, in front of Hamish Bond ever again. Uh, you got that spot, and uh, it's great that we were able to uh, catch up with uh, how you felt sitting there. So, hey, thank you. Uh, thank you for those reflections. Oh, good luck going forward with, with your new challenge as well, and good luck in the Halberds. I think everyone's uh, very, very much in the, in the camp of the 8, so let's, let's hope you get something for it. Thank you. Oh, awesome. Thank you very much. Tom Murray, everybody. Uh, yeah, a man in front of uh, Hamish Bond in the eight. Wow. Absolutely wow. Um, and you could kind of get the sense for it that um, he loved every moment of doing it too. 9.46 here of, uh, on SENZ. Take a, a short break. We've got some texts coming in. Uh, one about Roger Tuovasashek and one on the eights. So uh, we'd love to hear from you about Hamish Bond. Uh, we just heard a reflection from on him from a teammate. What about your memories of Hamish Bond? What has he meant to New Zealand sport? How high up the pecking order does he rank for you? We'll be back shortly. On ECNZ. 9.52 here on ECNZ. I've just been out of the corner of my eye watching some live cricket for the under-19s in uh, the West Indies. This match in Antigua and Afghanistan have just beaten Sri Lanka by four runs in a real low-scoring encounter. And the drama and uh, the ex- the ecstasy, heard it before, the ecstasy from uh, uh, the Afghanis- Afghanis players are all in the middle of the ground, bowing, kissing the ground, etc. Meanwhile, uh, in uh, the <laughs> Sri Lankan camp, they're all crying. Incredible, just uh, 19-year-old kids. Um, of course, our players weren't uh, able to get across to that this time around. So, uh, yeah, uh, what a game. Afghanistan into the semi-finals of uh, the World Cup and under-19 cricket. What a great result. Uh, Ken's come in and said, uh, Smithy saw Roger Tuovasashek interview. Very well done by him. Uh, he's going to be great for the Blues on and off the field. It seems to be enjoying life there in that environment. Thanks, Ken, for that. Uh, Jerry's come in and said, uh, Morning, Smithy. The men's rowing aid has to be awarded uh, the Halberg Sports Team of the Year with their achievement winning Tokyo Gold and Pinnacle Blue Ribbon event. They had to attend qualifying regattas, then spend two weeks in MIQ not training one month before the Olympics. They beat the USA, UK, Germany, the Netherlands and Australian superpowers with huge budgets. This crew had a shoestring budget. Cricket and rugby gets the profile in New Zealand, but the rowers go about their sport with few accolades. Uh, Jerry, yeah, well, they get the accolades from uh, certain quarters and they should get a, a, a whole host of money from... Uh, Sport New Zealand and the government, I would imagine, for uh, winning a gold medal. So 
Uh, and they certainly, uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that um, after that performance, they get uh, a lot, a lot of recognition. So um, it's interesting. It's really interesting. Um, but they're good. They're very good. And let's hope that um, uh, I think personally, my vote, I'm not a voter. I'm not. A, I haven't got a, any say. But let's hope that they get duly recognised. Uh, and the Hellbigs, which I imagine too, will be behind closed doors at the moment. Probably uh, done. Remotely, uh, I guess at the moment, I, yeah, uh, we've got to go, 9.54, 9.54. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away, and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, we're ahead, actually. We got up yesterday at $4.05, so we're very happy about that. Today and over the weekend, Barty to beat Collins to win the crown at $1.25. The Wellington Blaze to win the crown over the Otago Sparks at $1.42. The Golden State Warriors today to beat the Minnesota at $1.37. Uh, Medvedev to beat Tsitsipas in the semi-final tonight. And the Sydney Football Club to beat Central Coast Mariners in the A-League at $1.72. All over the weekend, $5.90. Good luck with that. I'll repeat that later in the morning because we'd have to do it so quickly. It is 10 o'clock and it's time for the news. The all-new SENZ is Kiwi for Sport. Good morning, I'm Trudy Nelson with SENZ News to 10 o'clock. A teenager who's tested positive for COVID after attending Sound Splash on the weekend says with all the physical contact that 8,000 partygoers had at the three-day festival, it seems inevitable that the virus will spread to others. Five people who went to Sound Splash have so far tested positive for the virus, one of which has the Omicron variant. Health experts are warning it could become a super spreader event which seeds the virus around New Zealand. It's official, life is becoming more expensive with inflation hitting an almost three-decade high. The annual inflation rate has rocketed to nearly 6%. It's being fuelled by the soaring price of petrol, house, houses and construction costs. Meantime, Porirua has been named as the most expensive rental market in New Zealand. The median weekly rent in Porirua is $700, pushing some families out of the city and leaving others going without. Auckland's long-awaited light rail project will run from Wynyard Quarter down on the viaduct to Mount Roskill before surfacing and running alongside State Highway 20 to the airport. Prince Andrew's defiant 41 denial response to Virginia Roberts's sex abuse lawsuit puts him on a collision course with the palace as he demands a jury trial and says Ghislaine Maxwell was never his close friend. And Tesla's most important products this year and next won't be cars, says CEO Elon Musk, but software that drives them autonomously and a humanoid robot that the company expects to help out in the Tesla factory will be their next big inventions. SNZ Radio.NZ Sport coming up. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SNZ. Well, it's a huge weekend for domestic cricket as the Super Smash uh, is going to have a doubleheader final in Hamilton at Seddon Park uh, over the weekend. Uh, and uh, really, it's uh, been great to watch the Otago Sparks. Uh, they're through to tomorrow's Super Smash final after a clinical 29-run win over the Auckland Hearts in yesterday's elimination match in Dunedin. Susie Bates once again in brilliant form with the bat. Uh, 75 from 62 balls. 
Uh, Hayley Jensen, miserly with the ball, uh, none for 11 from her four overs, uh, part of a very, very, very well-performed bowling unit. Now, joining us this morning is uh, Rebecca, Bow- Rebecca Rolls. We thank you very much, Rebecca, for joining us. I understand you've just hopped off a plane, which is uh, great that you can make time for us. Of course, former White Fern, New Zealand cricket board member, and at the moment, Spark Sport commentator, enjoying some great cricket. Uh, Rebecca, thank you. What about these uh, Sparks? What a great story it is. Yeah, it's a really good story, Smithy. Uh, you know, from where they were last year, kind of loitering towards the bottom of the table, and then from, from the start of this year, really have just gone from strength to strength. And, you know, they've had Susie Bates come back. Obviously, she was injured last year. Um, Kate Ibrahim's been another good addition to the side. Uh, but I think they've just built on, on some of the, the work they did last year with the young groups and great leadership from Katie Martin uh, and obviously coaching from Craig Cumming, and it's, it's been a really good story. Uh, a lot of people were saying the bowling unit's been outstanding. I mean, it's OK with, uh, with Susie Bates. We kind of expect her level of ex- excellence, but the bowling, and quite often the bowling is a secret to T20 success, uh, they've developed a, a pretty good unit. Oh, absolutely, they have, and the unit is exactly the right word for it. They've been that since ball one of you know this, the Dream Eleven Super Smash, and Eden Carson, you know, she's at the top, uh, young spinner. She's got 16 wickets. Then you've got Sophie Aldershaw, em, uh, Emma Black, Molly Lowe, who's missed the last few games from injury. You know, all those girls are really young and and part of a, a very good unit, as you say, and they just go from strength to strength. Uh, let's uh, look at the opposition. Uh, they appear almost um, unbeatable. Uh, the Wellington Blaze, neutral venue, of course, uh, in Seddon Park in Hamilton. What do they have to do to break down that, that wall that, that, that the Blaze have, have put up? Yeah, it's going to be tough. The Blaze, as you said, they're unbeaten. They missed out last year on a nail-biter in the final, uh, having qualified top again. So they'll be looking to make sure that history doesn't repeat itself. But I think from, from you know, looking at the Sparks' performances, and, and then bear in mind Hallie Jensen's come back quite recently, I think, I think they're getting stronger and stronger and they're building some good momentum. But as you say, I mean, bowling will be key if, uh, if those bowlers can continue that performance and Sophie Devine doesn't get on top of them and doesn't get hold of them because she's really the key threat there. But then bear in mind she's only played the last couple of games and then after that you've still got Amelia Kerr, Lee Cashbrook, Rebecca Burns, you know, they're, they're sort of danger people and young Georgia Plimmer. So mm. there's plenty to be concerned about if you're bowling at the blaze, but if you keep your plans uh, really well executed, which is exactly what happened yesterday, uh, I think they'll be in with the show. And of course, I imagine whatever they do, bowl bat, they've got to start well because uh, one thing, as you pointed out, uh, the one thing that might be sitting in the in the back of the mind of the Wellington Blaze is last year they were pretty warm favourites as well. Absolutely. I mean, Amelia Kerr got a hat-trick last year. You don't expect to get a hat-trick and then lose the game, do you? So... Uh, and it was close, and, and they were undone by a very good partnership between, uh, you remember, Leah Tahuhu and, of course, Kate Ibrahim, who turns up for the Sparks mm. this year. So, so maybe some, some bad memories there. But look, the Blazers are a really professional unit. They're well led by Maddie Green. Sophie Cummings back, uh, Sophie coming back is one, one more strength. But really, they've, they've been unbeatable even prior to that. And, and each time against the Sparks have been pretty convincing. So they, they've got every right to be confident to go in as, as favourites. Well, it's a double header, of course, um, Rebecca, um, and uh, it's going to be a great spectacle. You'll have it live uh, on Spark Sport and uh, across other networks, I'm sure. So, uh, look, what about the men's side of things? You've been uh, involved in, in watching and, and talking about the men's side of things, and uh, we've got the Brave, uh, who have had a sterling uh, summer uh, hosting, and they get the home advantage of all the four teams they get it uh, uh, against the Canterbury Kings, who knocked over, I think, a little bit of an element of surprise, knocked over uh, the Firebirds. 
Yeah, look, it was, it was a really close game, wasn't it? And I think it swung backwards and forwards. There was a point where, you know, trying to prepare for the aftermatch interviews, I had about four running through my head as to who I might be talking to because <laughs> Peter Younghusband was excellent for the Firebirds. Um, Michael Bracewell, as usual, he's just had such an amazing year. So, so it was really close. It's exactly what you want from the elimination final. But the Kings are there, and they've got to take on the Brave, and that won't be easy. The Brave are really strong, uh, really well led by Jeet Reval, but some, some rock stars returning in, in De Gronholm um, and, of course, Bolt, Southie. Uh, they've just got a lot to unpick in order to get up. So is it about the Kings batting, um, handling the brave bowling? Is it as simple as that? I think that would be a major piece of it. Bolton Saudi are quality, um, but there's been some really good performances throughout from Joe Carter as well. Like he's been very impressive. Uh, Anur Agum has been tricky. Uh, we've got obviously Scott Kugler and East Shodi, Mitch Santner, it sort of goes on, doesn't it? So they are, they are I think, the, the strong unit going in. Um, but then, you know, the Kings, are, they've gone from strength to strength and they're match harder. They've had some really amazing performances from Cam Fletcher, who's just been the finisher of the tournament and hit the most sixes. But also Chad Bowes, uh, Leo Carter's looking good, Colin McConkey, and then you throw in their returning black caps being Mitchell and Latham. So it's quite a tasty little uh, match-up, really. Yeah, I think it's, it's a hard competition to get to the, to the playoffs and uh, I think the four most deserving teams certainly have, have made it through. Can we just re- revert back uh, to... Now the White Ferns, uh, Rebecca, obviously it's a massive year for them and it's, uh, it's getting closer by the day. In fact, time's almost running out. Uh, where do you think, uh, looking at the players involved in this competition, uh, where do you think uh, we're at, bearing in mind uh, they haven't been really together in a playing capacity since uh, the Tour of, the, of England? No, they haven't, but I think they've we've had some excellent preparation and, and Dream 11 Super Smash is one part of it. There's been some really closely fought... Halliburton Johnson uh, games, which is of course the 50 over format. Uh, Sophie Devine's coming off a, a winning season over in the BBL, and yes, that's shorter form, but you know it's still game game awareness and game hardness. So I think we're we're in good shape, and uh, the team's named later this week, I believe. So that will be sort of the start of, of the next phase for them, and they'll get together and, and start to prepare. And obviously, India's coming in first as a, as a first up series, and that's really a really good benchmark. They're a strong team. They've got some absolute stars. Smriti Mandana's just been named Player of the Year for India. They've got Harman Prekor. Natali Raj, of course, Julian Goswami, uh, just masses of skill and talent. So that'll be a very good benchmark. All those games are in Queenstown now, uh, which, which will be interesting. Uh, you know, playing on one wicket, you can start to get into some, some good and bad habits. So that'll be a test for both teams. But look, I think that if you can get, and we should, have all you know, the top players playing at once. So Susie Bates, Sophie Devine, Amelia Kerr, Amy Satterthwaite, backed up, of course, by Leah Tahuhu, and some very good young people coming in. Jess Kerr's had another great season. So it seems to be coming together at the right time. But from here, it's tournament cricket is going to be anyone's. From the outside looking in, it appeared from a unit point of view, it seemed to get better uh, the more they played in England. Then, of course, uh, that tour came to an end. What were the areas that, that you looked at there that we really needed to uh, increase... Uh, our uh, our performance on going into a World Cup from that tour of England. I think I mean you're right. They they played really well. They got better and better. They had a good win um, and also had a good win against Australia in the T20 sort of last summer. So it's, it's a matter of remembering those performances, but probably just backing up more and more of that performance under pressure, both of the bat and the ball, and you know having having all everyone available will help that. But just probably, I think, particularly with the bat, being able to produce those innings that are under pressure, you're up against it. A bit like Cam Fletcher did the other day. 
you know, when you're sort of going in and you're on a hiding to nothing, but really turning it around and winning those moments along the way. Are you expecting, as you said, the side uh, is about to be named, so those questions will be answered. Anything from uh, outside? Has anyone done enough for you uh, to force their way into the group from uh, the cricket you've seen in New Zealand this summer? Well, given the squads we've had over the last year or so, I'm not sure there'll be too many new faces to the setup. There's been, you know, some obviously Molly Penfold went away to Australia, uh, to England. Brooke Halliday had a sort of breakthrough season, so I'd expect those people to be there or thereabouts. Um, and then obviously with some people returning and being available, so I don't think there'll be any new faces necessarily. But there's certainly, I think, some people, players who have really pushed for, uh, I guess, positions in the starting lineup and in. in um, you know, just getting, I guess, getting the nod for games but and moving up the batting order. I think Amelia Kerr's batting has gone from strength to strength. Um, you've got Amy Satterthwaite there, of course, she's, she's strength. But uh, there's just a good, I think, momentum building with some of these younger players and, and the bowlers as well. There's, uh, it's, it's quite an exciting kind of period. I think Jess Kerr's improving more and more and can get more responsibility. So, yeah, I think to answer your question, not necessarily too many new faces being blooded. We, we should have seen everyone basically, but I think some, uh, some people pushing for, for roles in the team. One of the great shames, uh, Rebecca, and you can answer to this very well because uh, you know what it's like to play at home and uh, to win at home uh, as a group. Uh, is, uh, it looks like now for all intensive purposes uh, there'll be pretty empty stadiums, which is a real shame uh, because uh, you, know, you, you strive for, uh, to play in a tournament like this and uh, one of the great assets you have is that you're at home and you get that feeling uh, from a crowd, etc. That might be missing. That's going to not be easy. No, it, it, you're right. So there's a real shame, particularly obviously we've played a World Cup at home for over 20 years and, and having a crowd there through that tournament, even though it was a much smaller sort of version of it, that was such a nice part mm. of that tournament and it really helps the home team. So we're not going to be able to have that. But there's a lot more going on than there was then and there has been other World Cups in terms of activations and, and promotion around the game. Obviously the coverage will be completely different uh, so it's a matter of finding that momentum through other ways, I think, and, and you know, getting people, finding ways to have people support you uh, either from a distance or virtually and, and where possible, you know, being able to kind of involve the team in other areas outside the game. So the other thing that's of interest uh, in women's cricket at the moment, of course, is the Ashes going on um, in Australia, just a, a one-off test match there in, in Canberra. Do you ever think we'll get back to the stage of... Uh, of uh, the White Ferns ever to be able to play Test cricket? Yeah, look, I, I think it's um, it's always on the cards, and you know it has to be the right thing, uh, both for the program and commercially, and and for the for the global game and everything like that. Um, I'd love to see it eventually uh, at the right time, um, but I'm not sure it's something that can happen in the next sort of couple of years, and particularly with COVID, I guess that makes tours even more uh, tricky to organise and to. Um, to be able to coordinate and, and then you add on time and, and MIQ and that sort of thing, it is it is tricky. Yes, from Australia and England, I've got a bit of a, a blueprint for it, and so the Ashes, uh, I guess, program can happen. And and they also played Australia's Open Test against India, which was which was good to see as well. They are one off, and I think that's where it will start. So there'll be maybe a one off test built into to tournaments and series in the future, with a view to maybe pushing out a, a deeper program. But I mean, we've, the White Fans haven't played a test since 2004, which I know because I was there. Mm. I think I was the last person to get a cap, yeah. <laughs> test cap for the White Ferns. So, <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a big piece of, of history that we, we haven't been able to grow. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm confident that in, in time that'll happen.
Rebecca, do you have any involvement in the World Cup? I know you, you, you're heavily into cricket administration as well, etc. What, what's your involvement in the World Cup coming up? Hopefully, mostly as a spectator and a fan. Um, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to be able to watch a lot of it. I mean, I have a little bit to do with the players, um, you know, just keeping in touch with them and that sort of thing. But nothing, nothing official. Um, and, and as you say, from an administration perspective, obviously the board will be try to be if we can and if we're allowed uh, at as many games either in person or or keeping an eye on it virtually and, and supporting the LOC uh, local organising committee led so well by Andrea Nelson and her team. Um, so. I'm a World Cup champion officially and, and help promote from that perspective. But yeah, anything else that comes up along the way, uh, it's sort of time now where those things start coming in and opportunities start arising. So I'm hoping that uh, I'll be able to do some of those. Great. Rebecca, absolutely fantastic. Thanks so much for making yourself available at short notice. Uh, it been wonderful to get an insight on all those competitions uh, that are progressing through and uh, coming up. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Uh, Rebecca Rolls there, uh, of course, uh, highly respected uh, uh, former New Zealand cricketer, but uh, also on the board of New Zealand cricket as well and a Spark Sport commentator to boot. Exciting times for women's uh, cricket. But, John, exciting times for women's golf, I understand, this morning? Absolutely. Lydia Coe, we all were so excited when she returned to form last year and she started this year with a tide for 10th and in her second tournament of the year, the LPGA is in Florida. She is currently tied for the lead, seven under par after 14 holes, Leoko, seven birdies, Smithy, from 14 holes, no bogeys, and she is equal with Danielle Kang, who won the first LPGA Tour event of the year, uh, and Danielle is in the clubhouse. So, Lydia, a great chance to be the outright leader after the opening round of the LPGA event in Florida. Ah, uh, fantastic news, and uh, look, I've, we talked about it yesterday uh, with... Oh, the other day with Marcus Wheelhouse as well, uh, uh, forecasting a hell of a year on the strength of the way she played last year uh, and the way she's timing her breaks and picking her tournaments. Don't be surprised if Lydia Ko wins this one and maybe a major or two throughout the year. She just seems to have got it back at the right time. It's still so young. Uh, it's ten seventeen here on SENZ. Panel time next. The panel. Oh, well, this morning we're joined by Jordan Oppert and uh, Ross Carl, and Ross, of course, uh, out of uh, Sky. Uh, Jordan uh, doing her work uh, for TVNZ, of course, uh, reporting on all sports events, including the, the Winter Olympics coming up. Jordan, we might as well start there, actually. Uh, uh, it looks like you're, you're going to be able to report on some pretty good New Zealand performances. What events uh, are you involved in, and uh, how are you going on the, on the jargon, the terminology? <laughs> yeah, I'm frothing, as Nico would say. Uh, yeah, I head off to Beijing this evening, so the countdown is now well and truly on. Uh, but with the Winter Olympics, like it's, it's a thing across the board with media, you see much smaller crews. So I'm the sole reporter with the cameraman Nate for the Olympics, so we'll be trying to get around everywhere that we can and get as many Kiwis in action as possible. The ones I'm most excited for are always probably, well, when I say always, I'm really into in this current campaign, is the half-pipe and the slope style, because that's our freestyle skiers who obviously are in medal contention. But also it's just what they do, throwing themselves, you know, metres in the air, having to pull off all sorts of tricks because it's free skiing or, um, you know, free snowboarding. And I would say the other one in terms of international would be the Jamaican bobsledders. I mean, cool running round two. Mm. I'm absolutely excited for it. So, no, I think it's going to be a very exciting campaign. And as we mentioned last week, I think it is one that could make history all going well. 
it could make history. And the good news, of course, uh, from your point of view, Ross Carl, is that uh, there's going to be blanket coverage on it on uh, Sky Sport and plenty to focus on in terms of shows. Yeah, that's right. We've got a uh, full coverage through the day and through the night with uh, Goran Paladin, Stephen McIver, Ravinda Hunia amongst our hosts, and uh, then a bunch of reporters over there as well, Jeff McTainch and Christina Eddy at the events and uh, looking at what's going on. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a really, really good one for us, especially what's come off the X Games the last couple of weeks with the gold medals, with Zoe looking like she is basically unbeatable, um, Nico obviously being in good form and, you know, medals to come. And I just don't ever remember us being in this position going into a Winter Olympics. So whatever's happening down in Wanaka and Queenstown, whatever snow sports New Zealand are doing, I'm certainly no expert. It appears to be working. Ross, you've been putting together and responsible for putting together a lot of in-depth magazine shows uh, on uh, individuals, etc., uh, across the board. Uh, but obviously at some stage, uh, when he's ready to do it, uh, there might be a really good in-depth Hamish Bond story to tell. Um, exciting. What did you make of that announcement yesterday? What has he meant for you as a sport lover as much as a sport coverer? Well, he's just so elite in his approach, isn't he? He's so professional and so dedicated, and he's obviously just got a massive engine. Um, you know, he's in those sports where you, you're going um, forwards. You know, it's not balls, it's not anything else. Um, it's not hand-eye coordination as much as having a massive engine and some good technique that you hone in. And it's just incredible the way he jumped into cycling and jumped out of cycling and, and got medals and, and won events. Um, his Olympic stuff has been incredible. I wouldn't say that I'm into rowing, um, but you've got to respect um, the way that they dominated. Um, it just doesn't happen like that in most world sports. So for me, I think that's his legacy. Um, absolute professionalism in his preparation and it reflecting on the field, or on the water, on the track, whatever. Yeah, yeah, on the water um, and on the, on the road in terms of the cycling as well. Uh, and the other thing about him, Jordan, is image. I mean, so much around image these days, particularly when uh, you're dealing with the media, etc. He seems... Uh, from the outside looking and haven't had much to do with him, is almost the perfect sportsman. Oh, 100%. And I think the thing is is that he's one of those people who have quietly gone about their work but also spoken up when they needed to. Um, you know, I mean, I hate yeah, going into, I mean, Olivia Podmore last year, her death happened when they came back from Tokyo and he was one of the first athletes to actually talk about it um, as they came out. And his words were just, he just knows he knew exactly what to say um, without saying too much as well. But he's just one of those humble characters that was always great to interview. And what I will say is I used to um, row during high school and my first ever regatta as a novice was called the K2 regatta, which is at Lake Karapiro. And he, you know, if you've been down there and you know where the high performance setup is, it's actually a wee way from the boat park where us, you know, all the school rowers were. But he was the one athlete that you could always spot in the boat park. He'd always make an effort to come up and talk to your school. I went to Pukau High School, so, you know, a, a public school out in South Auckland. He always came over to anyone. It didn't matter who you were, because there are elite rowers and then there are those who are just starting out. And he was the one that kind of made me go, hang on, these guys are really cool, because it's not often that you get elite athletes like that that'll give you the time of day when you are just starting out. And as I say, it was my very first regatta. So that kind of shows the kind of person he is. But also, I feel like he's just inspirational for many things. You know, as Ross just said, the resilience, the grit, 
his ruthless determination. I mean, three gold medals over three different campaigns. And I think to go out on the eight as well is just the most, the icing on the cake, really. Like, that is a legacy. Team of the year for you, Jordan, at the Halbergs, would they be? That's what I said. I've already put my money on that last time round. Yeah, so you, you, you're sticking with that now? I'm sticking with them, yeah. I think it was incredible what they were able to, to achieve. I mean, I know it's a hard one for Halbergs because everyone is amazing, but in my humble opinion, I'm going with the men's eight. What about you, Ross? I mean, there's a few candidates. Throw the black caps in as World Test champions, etc. Uh, sometimes we, we tend to forget those performances a little earlier in the year uh, when we come round to uh, the voting side of things. But um, is this uh, a likely uh, eight performance, uh, performance winning uh, the Halberg Teams event to you? Well, the history of the Halberg suggests in Olympic year everyone else has got no chance, right? Um, personally, for me, I thought the Black Caps achievement was amazing. Um, coming back from the struggles they had in Australia to go along and win that two championship against an amazing team and the style that they won it. But for me, that is team of the year. But the story from the eights is magnificent. They basically came from nowhere um, to, to go and win an Olympic gold medal. Uh, I don't know the context of that. I don't know how strong the eights competition was in comparison to the competition the Black Caps are up against. But I feel like the significance of the achievement of the Black Caps coming from where they came from over a period of 10 years and considering how far they've got in 2020 cricket and one-day cricket international competition, when you combine all of those things and the way that they have basically been the dominant team in competition play in world cricket for a couple of years, I don't think, when you put it in the context of how New Zealanders care about the Black Cat, that you should be able to go past them. Uh, interesting, Ross. Thank you for that. Uh, for Jordan, stay with us, please, if you can. Uh, we're going to go to the news. And let's not forget the Black Fern Sevens as well. Uh, high profile, high achievers. Uh, and a uh, great image around what they've done as well. So, man, it's going to be difficult. That is a heck of a category to vote on. Uh, meanwhile, Trudy with the news here. Big opinions, the panel. Uh, Jordan Oppert with us this morning, along with uh, Ross Carl. And Ross, of course, uh, major focus too on tennis at the moment uh, across the Tasman. Before we get to the special case. Uh, a lot of people, I think, uh, are hoping that R Rafael Nadal can come up trumps in, uh, in this particular tournament. If nothing else, just to, head, to get ahead of uh, Djokovic in terms of uh, <laughs> the majors. Uh, I, I know that's uh, a weird sort of way of looking at it, but <clears throat> he did sort of uh, polarise people with, uh, with that event. I mean, this Australian Open, with the uh, Djokovic affair, it seems to have been going on forever. Yeah, what I like about it is, like you said, you create a, a villain and then you need your hero. And, and Nadal and Federer, the way they've conducted themselves over their careers has been so exemplary, I think, in the most part, the way that they've been so respectful, so liked, so good to the people around them. Um, you know, seeing Nadal go ahead and when was it, 21st that he's hoping to get? I think it'd be amazing. But mm. when you look at the rest of the competition there, um, they look like they've all had a pretty tough go, like Nadal had cramps. Medvedev had to save a match point. You know, Berrettini's had a couple of five-setters and Tsitsipas struggled against Fritz. You know, like, it was... None of them have had an easy run. So it'll be interesting to see who runs out of steam come the last couple of games. Jordan, I know uh, tennis isn't huge on your agenda, but having said that, as a sports journalist, it's hard to avoid what's been happening over the last uh, two or three days with the special case, uh, Kyrgios, Kokonakis, and, of course, the Michael Venus reaction. What have you made over the whole saga? 
Oh, well, as you know, Smithy, I'm a Kyrgios fan. However, how good was it for Venus to come out and just be open and honest? Like, I thought that chat he had was so refreshing. Um, I think it was with Chris Chang, actually. Um, just to come out and say, for as long as he acts like that, he ain't really going to get to the top. And it's interesting, right, because in one, in one area... Kyrgios is bringing in a whole different demographic of fans and he's bringing about this entertainment and making tennis more of a spectacle. When usually you go there and you politely sit there with your fedora on and you maybe your, what is it, Pims if you're at Wimbledon. And I mean, that's all well and good, but he's bringing in a whole different group and making them really excited about tennis. And I think the brand he plays is exciting. But yeah, I must say, I found that whole, um, when Venus came out, I found it very interesting actually that that was his opinion, but then I also wasn't surprised as a competitor. Look, I think as well, Kyrgios will go. I, I think they'll go all the way now. So, yeah, in terms of the men's singles, I, God, I hope Nadal can pull through. How cool would that be? So, Jordan, you do you like the bad men in sport for some reason? <laughs> no, I like the good guys because good guys usually do win. But I just love the, you know, black cats. Case in point. But I just like Kyrgios for the brand of tennis he sort of created recently in terms of making it more than just the tennis and making it entertaining. Um, because yeah, I'll be honest, I'm not a big tennis fan, um, but I like watching when the likes of Kyrgios are playing. Okay, Ross. Well. Um Television-wise, uh, I would imagine, uh, if just judging by the reaction courtside, he is huge for the ratings, uh, Kyrgios, but um, uh, is, is it, there's an ugly side to it that the tra- traditional don't like. Where do you stand on it? Yeah, look, I I mean, the traditional side, I suppose, that's an interesting part of it, isn't it? You think back to Elena Scarsi, John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors. There's always been that level of, of fire and anger and whatever else, but usually it's directed at the umpire or the lines people, um, not at your opposition so much. And I think that's where I don't like Kyrgios. I like watching him play because he's got some great shots, but I don't like him because of the disrespect he shows to his opposition. Um, you know, you only have to look at what he said, I suppose, in firing back at Michael Venus, where he basically said, well, mate, that guy can't even play singles. I don't really think much of him. You know, and it's like, doubles is a respectable career. Yeah, he's not a, a singles winner. Mate, just... Just take it easy, let the guy play his tennis, let him serve, be respectful of him, and you can rack up in other ways. I just think he, he takes it that step further than some of those old bad boys did, and I, I'm just not really down with it. Yeah, I, I think, uh, my personal opinion, is a lot of people think he's quite a complex character, Kyrgios. I think he's quite simple, uh, to be honest, uh, and quite simple, easily led, and, uh, and also um, not always in control. I mean, there must be times when he sits. There has to be, surely, times, Ross, when he sits down at the end of a match or the end of an episode and there's been a truckload of them, that he must regret what he's just done. There must be, if there isn't, he truly is a lunatic. Yeah, and he actually plays up to it in his social media, etc. So it feels like he's almost become a caricature of himself. I don't think he's self-aware enough to really understand that he's got to take responsibility. Uh, yeah, it just sits pretty badly with me like that. How you can do it again and again and again, and not learn and not become a bigger man. He's 26 years old. He's been on the tour for seven or eight years. You know, it's time that he grew up in respect of his opposition players. Well, it's an All Australian doubles final, so we'll see if he's got uh, any respect for his countrymen. That'll be uh, an interesting one to observe, actually. But. Uh, speaking of finals, uh, Jordan, you'll be very pleased that the Canterbury Kings are in the Super Smash final, no doubt. 
How good. But would you expect anything less smithy? It is a Canterbury side after all. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, I do. No, but no, I'm, I'm stoked for them, eh? Um, I mean, they've had a great season. I think it's, and I, what I also think has been really cool this season with the Kings is that some players who have maybe previously, I wouldn't say struggled, but have had their own issues, have really come out this year. I mean, Henry Shipley, he's had his fair share of struggles over the past few years, and this year Shippo's come out and had a blinder of a season. Edward Nuttall as well, so they've been able to rely on their non-black cat players um, and to get to get the job done. And I just think it's so cool, and I, I just think what a final it's going to be this weekend. What's the go with fans, though? Are they allowed in? A uh, hundred, get a hundred, a pocket of a hundred, oh. or around the place. I'm not quite sure how they can spread it yeah. around. So, uh, in that in that yeah. respect, uh, the brave are disadvantaged because they've earned the home the home game. So they're not going to have a huge Waikato support base there, or Bay of Plenty support base coming over. So uh, they'll miss out. It's nice though that you're on good terms with Shippo and Tomo and Nico and Camo <laughs> and all the boys down there. Yeah, I'm Jordo, you know. <laughs> no, I, well, I, this is the thing. I do, I, I do actually know quite a few people in the Kings who I've been friends with for a long time. But yes, no, Henry Shipley in particular is one who I just think has had an absolute standout season and deserves all the credit he can get. And for whatever reason it's been this year, the, you know, the, in terms of news coverage, um, obviously there's been so many highlights. And I think the Super Smash, Super Smash rah, Jeepers, it's mouthful, has really provided this season, but we just haven't managed to get around them too much with different COVID protocols and whatnot. But yeah, Shippo is one who deserves all the credit, man. He has had a great season um, as a bowler. He has. His, uh, his performance has been consistently good, there's no doubt about it. Uh, just finally, Ross, uh, Roger Tuovasashek uh, uh, making himself available to the media yesterday. It's been a long wait. Uh, he's uh, going to front up 12 for the Blues. Uh, it seems, um, but uh, he looks in good spirits, uh, handled the media very well. Uh, I think he's going to attract a lot of attention, isn't he, uh, in the coming months? Yeah, yeah, he is. I mean, obviously he's a class act on the field, but he's a pretty classy act off the field. I think he handles himself pretty well with all that experience in the NRL, the way he speaks about, you know, going out and finding people like Tana Umanga to lean on, um, finding people to learn off, and, and then the way he's had to go through starting all over again. Um, I get the feeling he's going to succeed because that's the kind of guy that he is. Um, 12, I think, is a really good decision, not just for the Blues, but for New Zealand rugby. We've struggled to figure out that midfield partnership for a few years now. And I feel like having a guy like Roger Tuivasa-Shek with the ability to change change directions, who can also play first receiver in rugby league style, so he's probably got a good distribution game and is obviously a pretty strong defender, I think in a 12 position could offer a lot on attack where the All Blacks maybe haven't been quite as good as they could have been, you know, without a person like Nani Lamarpe punching through the middle. We've gone sideways a fair bit and he could be a guy who could find some holes through the middle. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he goes with the Blues and then hopefully in the All Blacks midfield. Yeah, I'm hoping, uh, also looking forward to seeing how Caleb Clark bounces back into uh, a full season of 15s rugby as well. Uh, Jordan, uh, before we let you go, I also um, just read uh, a little article uh, about the proposed new stadium in Christchurch. And uh, often down there when they design something new, um, you have to have it in line with uh, what the locals think. Otherwise, there's all sorts of debates. Uh, Initially, though, uh, it's met with a little bit of uh, consternation that it's not quite uh, green friendly, so to speak. Oh, gosh. When did this one come out today? Yeah, it's a little story, and the design, I've seen the design right behind the cardboard cathedral where it's going to sit. 
I'm not quite sure in the middle of a city as such, when you look to design it that way, how green you can go. Exactly. I mean, come on. Uh, one thing I will say about Cantabs, and I can say this because I've moved, you know, I've moved there from Auckland, is that they're very hard to please. And I think that what, the, as you say, when they're in the CBD, what can you really expect? And I actually think where they've earmarked the land or where they've got to put it is primo. It's, it's only a couple of blocks down from the newly revamped you know, CBD and the strip where you can go out. I mean, location-wise, I think it's great where it is. Um, I haven't actually seen the article in question um, but that, that you're talking about, but from the initial designs and concepts, I think it, I think what they're doing is great. I think capacity was one thing where it was probably lacking, but oh, stop! Let's just stop all complaining about it and just get the bloody thing up. It's been we've been talking about it since I moved to Christchurch seven years ago. So the sooner we get it up, the sooner we can uh, start hosting things in Christchurch again. Well, Jordan, uh, please uh, travel safely. Thanks so much for your. Uh contributions, look forward to talking to you when you get home and let's look forward to your reports actually on some Kiwi success over there but uh, the main thing is travel safe and stay safe and well and to you Ross, thanks very much for your time this morning, as always catch up with you shortly in person, I am sure uh, Jordan Oppert, Ross Carl were on the panel for us this morning uh, delightful and very very interesting uh, they were as well, thank you uh, it is 10.43 um, we've got some text to read out and then of course uh, we'll talk to Louie and the TAB before 11. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 10.49 too here on SENZ. Can tell you uh, that Lydia Coe has gone to eight under, has the outright lead in the first round of the latest LPGA event. She is on fire. Uh, Smithy uh, says, uh, Dean My Everest, uh, number one, Peter Snell and John Walker, second equal, Lisa Carrington. Val Adams, Mark Todd, third equal, fourth, Colin Meads, fifth equal, Richie McCaw, Richard Hadley, and Hamish Bond. Can't think of a better bunch to have had the pleasure to having a beer with. Uh, rest their souls. Uh, still ke- keeping that magnificent flag of ours flying and the anthem playing, bringing a tear to all of our eyes. Boomfa. Sorry, Justin, you don't quite make the cut, but love your work also. <laughs> uh, Chris has come in uh, regarding uh, New Zealand cricket. Uh, not such a good light. Massive clangor dropped by New Zealand cricket. He says, number one. Not booking MIQ spots for the one-day international team to go to Australia. They should be playing in Australia this Sunday, as a matter of fact. Two, not sending our team to the Under-19 World Cup. Um, uh, with you on that one. Not uh, picking Ajax Patel in the squad for the Bangladesh series and not playing him in the first test uh, at the Mount. And not using him to market cricket in New Zealand. That's uh, from Chris. Very interesting indeed. I, I imagine... Um, uh, they, they look at those decisions, and I, I hope they're not knee-jerk decisions. Uh, they might be regretting the Under-19 World Cup one a, a little bit, but having said that, the situation has changed, and if they didn't have MIQ spots for those guys uh, booked in advance, uh, they might not get home, and then you have got issues with young kids and uh, having an impression on them. So MIQ is so much the dominant part of uh, where we're sitting with our, our sport at the moment, and hmm, I, I, I'm not too, too sure about John. Um, just the the announcement you made uh, before uh, about the Lonsdale Cup. We'll we we'll get him maybe into there about eleven. So, uh, Lisa Carrington wins the Lonsdale Cup for. Uh, just it's for the best Olympic athlete that they award this every year. It's the most okay. prestigious award you can receive if you're an Olympian from the New Zealand Olympic Committee. And Lisa, of course, uh, the goat in the boat, got that one this morning. Okay, well, more on that after uh, eleven o'clock. We're going to be talking to. Corey Jane as well, assistant coach of the Hurricanes. 
Uh, and very shortly, Louis Herman Watt and a visit to the tab. It's mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Well, it's another big weekend of racing ahead of us. Louis Herman what joins us. Uh, of course, Wellington Cup tomorrow. Waisaki comes out. Uh, is there a, a natural replacement in the betting, Louis? No, absolutely not. Not even close, not even remotely. Can't find one. Don't know who's going to win, Smithy. I've got no clue. I can't help you. I really can't. I, I have no idea who's going to win the Wellington Cup. I don't even have a lead. Mirandarani, uh, Mondarani, the dummy Myers runner, 10s into 850. Barrier 6, Sarah McNabb, second top weight. Lincoln King runs good races, but it's drifting, and I can't see myself backing it. Leaderboards come out. I'll probably back Skyfighter at 31s, to be honest. I got no clue what's wow. going to happen. Thornton Mile, it's a bit more clear cut. Coventina Bay for you? Well, it's clear cut for me, but I just read Mickey G, Michael Guerin's Herald article about how there's no pace in the race, which he's right. So horses like Two Illicit and Concert Hall from their wide draws, they might be superb mares, but with no pace in the race, they're not going to be able to come over top of them, dropping back to the mile. The no pace in the race situation isn't ideal for the chosen one as well, but I think he should be able to settle close enough from barrier three. The, the horse that is being primed and set for this race, which can win, is Coventina Bay. You know, superb mare from barrier one. Robbie hopes she gets three back on the fence, can pop off on the wide straight because Trentham's a big roomy track and roll, roll over top of them probably in the last 100 metres. I've taken the bet and I've said this. Um, Pitt Morris actually told me somebody's put $100 on the option and <laughs> only one person has put $100 on the option. Coventina to pay to win, chosen one top four at $8. That was me, so there you go. That's where my cards lie. Okay, we wish you all the best with that, uh, Louis. A big weekend, actually. Uh, Tim Mills and Co. at Rickett and have put together a card tomorrow with uh, 320,000 in stakes. And Allesley on Sunday with Brando, Royal Performer, and Titoki in the early races. Uh, exciting. Exciting to today for Greyhound fans. Pip Morris joins us from the TAB. Three venues today. Pip, busy day. Certainly is. Smithy, good morning to you. You're to Eddington kicking us off, Southland. And then Palmerston North a little bit later on, like a couple of value dogs too in the last at both meetings. Cinnamon at Eddington around $7. And really like Material Meg down south in the last race, nine, number eight. She's around 550. I really think she can run top two at around 2.9. And we were to talk about tomorrow. Big group one racing out of Trentham. Bonus back blitz is back again across the all four main meetings. So you've got Trentham, Rickerton, of course, the Valley as well, and the other main meeting across the Tasman. And a couple of big bets too, Smithy, on those races, including probably the biggest is the chosen one. He's the big mover, $500 and $400 on him at sevens and sixes. And there's a couple of power plays as well. And one of the ones there being taken is $100 on Coventina Bay to win and the chosen one top four at $8. Thank you very much, uh, Pip. Have uh, a fantastic weekend. Um, I know you enjoy a bit of a punt yourself, so good luck to you uh, and to uh, all our punters with that information coming through. Uh, after 11 o'clock, Corey Jane, former All Black Corey Jane, of course, assistant coach for the Hurricanes, a real character on his own right, but uh, it's not far now to the start of the season. How are the Canes shaping up? Uh, it's one of the questions we shall be asking him early on. It's 11 o'clock, and here is Trudy.
summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Well, it's uh, the middle of summer, of course. Uh, still look out the window and see some beautiful uh, warm days, blue skies. But it's also just uh, as a matter of course, three weeks away from the opening game of Super Rugby Pacific. Uh, between the Crusaders and the Hurricanes in Christchurch, and what a matchup that will be. Uh, joining us now from the capital is the Hurricanes assistant coach, Vaughan Wallblack. Uh, Corey Jane, uh, CJ, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, how's the pre-season going? Um, who, who's been your standouts in the testing? Uh, first of all, hello, Smithy. It's good to be on your show and not the other guys um, in the morning, but uh, <laughs> it's been good. It's uh, obviously... Uh, short window because um, how the, the Bunnings competition went on uh, last year. So boys have come in and actually quite good nick, um, which is what you want over the Christmas break and been some hard trainings over the last couple of weeks, but uh, slowly getting down to that point where it's um, pre-season uh, game is around the corner and the guys are excited. Uh, you're pretty much, uh, I mean, at this stage we, we start to get injury reports and people that aren't uh, available uh, for the early matches. How, how's your squad looking in that regard? Um, they're sore boys. Um, some guys with little niggles as you, you get nothing serious that's going to keep um, guys out of, of games as yet, but yeah, guys pulling up just because of some of the ground that we've trained on is quite hard, so you get... Uh, sore calves and knees and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, luckily we haven't got too much serious uh, stuff going on. So what kind of what kind of testing do you do these days? Uh, like, is it beat test, they're still going, yo-yo test, bronco? Do you get involved in those or you just stand and, and crack the whip as such? No, I don't get involved in them. No way I do. Um, no, they do, what have they done? They've done bronco, they've done a yo-yo test. Um... Yeah, just a lot of running, and uh, the trainers love that kind of stuff because I think they like to see the the players in pain. Um, and and fair credit to the boys, they've like I said, they've come back in good nick. So actually, when they're running around, it, it's hard, but they don't seem to uh, hate it as much as it used to be back in the days. And I always hated running, so I, I'd, I'd never join in with these guys. But um, now they're into it; it's it's full on. It's uh, it's an interesting time of your life in terms of, of the coaching path that you're, you're taking. Now, this is, uh, what, your third year as assistant coach of the Hurricanes. You're, you're still only 38 years of age, for, for God's sake. Uh, you know, how, how are you developing on it as a coach? I mean, how far out and what kind of strategies, how deep do you go these days? Um, yeah, well, like I uh, worry and stress over... Um, my rugby, I'm quite OCD uh, in the fact that I like to get uh, the detail across. Um, and different coaches do different stuff, and I think I'm more OCD in rugby than I am in life because I'm not in life. Um, but, yeah, I like to make sure that I'm well-planned and I can give the details to the boys because um, um, they get to give you a side eye now and then. I was like, what are you talking about? So, um, But I'm just enjoying the fact that I like to keep evolving um, keep trying to, I guess, change the game. And if I'm able to give my input, um, keep trying to be um, innovative around how rugby is played, then, then I'm enjoying myself, and that's exactly how I want it to be. 
Well, you're dealing, dealing with some uh, relatively young men uh, and crucial positions in your back line uh, this season, of course. Uh, a further developing season for 20-year-old Ruben Love, uh, who uh, made some strides for the Wellington Lions, of course. Uh, where do you, uh, I mean, he can play so many positions. Where, where would you be thinking at this stage of the season we'd like to, we would be seeing Ruben Love? Um, well, I, I like him at, at fullback. I like him with space. But obviously he played some 10 for us last year when uh, we really needed him. And so he's had a taste of it. And I, I guess, you know, there's going to be opportunities for him to play 10 again uh, this season. And it's going to be pretty cool to see how much he's grown from from playing last year with us to the second year, see what he can do this year. Because he's a guy that's very competitive. And he's always, sometimes he's really hard to read because he doesn't put a smile on his face when you think he should but he's actually trying to look at you and try to listen and figure out does he need this information or does he not. So mate, he's got huge talent. I just, I'm, I'm excited to see what it looks like this year. And alongside of him, um, 20-year-old Aidan Morgan making a step up from Wellington this year. Yeah, I mean, and that's going to be cool too. I mean, the, the quality that we have at 10, you've got Jackson... Uh, Garden Bishop has come back from his Achilles as well, so he's the the older head. And then you've got these these two young kid, kids um, competing, running around, trying to learn the game as well. So uh, it's kind of a it's an exciting opportunity uh, for for them and for us at the Hurricanes is that you know you've got a, a young guy that just wants to get out there and play, and if you can help him with the understanding the rugby and um, you know the pitches he's seen, then you know, it could be a good year for us and, and for them personally. So it's, it's exciting. Midfield, uh, midfield-wise, uh, Corey, of course, you've, you you have to live without Nani, Nani Lamape, and uh, that is uh, one heck of a lot of power to have to replicate. Uh, you've recruited Balin Sullivan and Tay Walden uh, this year. Tell us uh, about how they've fitted into your structures. Been great, actually. Yeah, obviously losing Nans is, is massive for... Um, you know, the Hurricanes, because we just use them in, in everything we do. So, uh, obviously, there's a lot of Euro that he's making now, so he's made a decision to go. Um, but I think Tay and, and Balin, you know, they've, they've really got a good, and for my part of the game, it's good as well, because they've got a good defensive mindset, and they love that area. Mm. So we're having some good rugby chats there. Um, but also, they're, they're good, good guys and good blokes, so they've just fitted right into the team, and um, you know, boys are having a laugh, and they've, you would have thought that they would they've been in the team for two, three years. Um, just how well they've fitted in. So, obviously, bringing their knowledge of different campaigns or different super teams that they've been in, and then trying to mould it into what we're trying to do here at the Hurricanes is um, it's good. And uh, you know, obviously, we're going to see what it's going to look like come game time. Um, but they've been doing good so far. Well, Geordie Barrett was immense last year for both uh, the Canes and the All Blacks. So, uh, mate, the, whatever whatever you've been uh, coaching and telling him has obviously paid off. Or well, just basically just said you're as big as a lock, so start using your body like a lock. Um, I didn't really say that to him, but um, you know, I just think it was you know there was parts of the season where um, you know it wasn't until the All Black part of the campaign or the, his year came that he was, he ended up establishing himself as the number one 15. And I guess for us, he is. 
Um, but there's still guys floating around in that position in the All Blacks, and you know there's talk about him changing positions, and um, so it's going to be interesting to have those chats with him and see where his confidence level is at and uh, his mindset is is at now that he's you know, to say it the number one 15 in the country at the moment. So um, that should bring <laughs> extra confidence to him. Not saying he didn't have any last year because he was playing pretty bloody good. So hopefully he can go to the next level. Well, we talked about the youth uh, in the 10 jersey, uh, but inside them is uh, TJ Perinara uh, back from Japan. Um, hungry? Very hungry? Always is. Um, well, yeah, one of the most competitive people I've ever, ever met in anything you do. And he's been around and he's come into a couple of sessions just to, you know, say hello and um, stand around and throw a couple of balls to people. And uh, you would have thought that he was the the captain, uh, coach, player, manager, um, ball boy, everything, because uh, he comes in and he, he tries to compete and he tries to be the best and he tries to get everyone else to compete and sometimes changes the system um, 48 different times uh, in one phase. But that's just the way he is. Um, having him back, and I, I guess that uh, that leadership around the nines and tens with the young tens you talked about, and and our nines, um, you know, we we missed that a bit last year because we had young ones in that position. So having him back, who understands the game, been around the All Black level for a long time, um, it, it can only be good for us. Traditionally, of course, you uh, you backs uh, don't tend to do, care too much about those boys uh, in the engine room, but it's nice uh, to see Owen Franks back in the mix. I'm sure uh, you know the, the guys will benefit from having around having him around. But he's had an Achilles problem. Uh, we understand he might have even bought a hyperbaric chamber to help his recovery. Uh, where's he at and his influence around the group? Uh, I with the funny story when I was in the All Blacks in that I, I didn't think I ever heard him speak. And when he came back from overseas, and this was last year, and he came in for a day, and I spoke to him more in the hallway than I'd ever spoken to him in the day of my life. And I was like, oh, my God, he can actually talk. Um, and then, obviously, he'd done his Achilles, and I'm confused about injuries now because and normally people, you know, nine months and all that, but he's walking around squatting and doing all that kind of stuff. So hopefully he can get back. And, and, you know, obviously debut for the Hurricanes. But outside of running around, just the, the input that he's having in the environment. And like I said, I didn't think he spoke that much. Um, but a lot of the guys are actually learning from him. And he's got a mindset that he wants to compete even if he's not playing. And so he's trying to learn as much as he can on what the Hurricanes are about, not only on the field and off the field. So it's... It's pretty cool to actually see someone that's played that much rugby, obviously been in a different franchise for that long, but still have that mentality that he wants to still get better and Mm. teach the guys around us, but around him, but not just teach them, actually go out there and do it and say, I'll teach you by going to do it first. So it's it's really cool. Uh, Corey, I was in a, believe it or not, in a bar in uh, Havelock North uh, about two weeks ago, (laughs) and this giant walked in. This absolute giant of a man, possibly the biggest New Zealander I've ever seen in my life, with his uh, arm in a sling, uh, Dominic Bird. Um, unfortunately, you, you signed him, uh, and he's out. Um, how do you replace that size and bulk? Not that you had it in the first place to replace, but my God, he's a big man, and who's come in? 
Uh, he's huge. Um, just like uh, even well, I knew it was big because I, I played a few years ago from in the All Blacks, but actually seen him come back, and I think I've got smaller, and he's he's massive. Um, so that's that's obviously that's a, that's a shame because he's he works hard and he's physical, but he's he's actually tall as well. So it's hard with I guess you know a lot of teams and a lot of depth in um, in the squads these days. I mean there's 48,000 players in a, each team where it didn't used to be that back in the day. And so, you know, when you start getting injuries, you've got to start looking around um, at different places. So we've got some good locks, some some new ones that, like Justin Sankston, that who, who he got a taste of the Bunnings last year, and he's um, he's trained well. So, you know, you look at him to get out there and play well. you still got your Blackies, and um, who, if he was a... Another foot taller had been All Black because he just does everything right. So I'm um, obviously losing Big Dom um, before he got out on the field is a shame, but uh, the boys are there to um, go out there and still do their job and, and compete. So uh, Corey, um, what does the next uh, three weeks look before look like before the Crusaders, from your point of view, under this new red light system as such? What can you cram in? Well. Um, Mate, it's it's navigating it through it like the rest of the world. Well, not world, rest of New Zealand, I guess it is. So it's, um, you know, I guess there's guidelines and everyone's just got to be careful what they do. But at the moment, it's uh, keep training hard and at the, you know there's uh, pre-season games around the corner and then we've got the competition. So we'll keep focus on that until something else changes. But in the meantime, it's it's still work and it's still try and get better and have a good season. Just before we, uh, we let you go, um, one of the talking points, of course, is uh, about the Blues and Roger Tuovasa-Shek. Did you expect to come up against them at 12 from a strategy point of view? I, I thought um, I thought midfield would be, be quite good for them. Um, I just looked at their team. You know, they're pretty stacked in the outside backs. And, um, you know, Zahn, who played fullback for them, wasn't too bad last year. And I, I figured... Uh, you know, him at 12 would probably be the best opportunity. I thought Auckland would play him there, um, even though that got kind of scrapped. So uh, I, I just think he's he's well established at that league, and it will suit him. He's a hard ball, ball runner. Obviously, there's not as much time as there is in league um, with, with the, in rugby. But I just think his uh, ability to back himself and run, um, he'll learn all the the little stuff as he gets older or as he gets in the game a bit more. Um, but I just mm. think, you know, 12 is, might be natural for him because he's strong um, and he just might get in the game a bit more there too. So I expect him to be there, but hey, I'm not their coach, so I don't... <laughs> no, nope, you are the coach of, uh, the assistant coach of the Hurricanes and uh, we're expecting big things from, uh, from them this year. And uh, I imagine everyone talks the same way at this stage of the season going into it. Uh, your expectations would be relatively high with this with the squad uh, that you've assembled, I would imagine. Well, we want to win it. Um, and I know we've probably said that for the last, well, how many years? We've played 26 years and we've only done it once. But, um, you know, the mentality is that, you know, last year, you know, we were pretty disappointing. And, you know, so obviously we've got a lot to prove to ourselves, our fans and, and people that support us. So uh, we're going to win it. And we just got to go out there and get through this preseason and 
um, obviously get stuck into the Crusaders round one and and see what happens. Always good talking to you, mate. I uh, love uh, your attitude uh, to life and to rugby. It's absolutely refreshing. And uh, good luck for the start of the season. I hope the next three weeks goes casualty free in terms of the team uh, and you can hit uh, Christchurch uh, in a heck of a mood. Good luck. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, cheers. We'll catch up with you throughout the season. Corey Jane there. Um, wonderful uh, guy to have around a team environment, isn't he? Uh, you know, just refreshing. Uh, he's got that, uh, I, I imagine he's pretty firm at times with uh, his coaching side of things, but he's got that air about him which uh, tends to suggest that at the end of the day, uh, it's just a game of rugby, and if we don't win today, we'll try harder next week. It, I, I, you know, very, very likeable man. Very likeable, very, very popular. Uh, I think he'll be, he'll, he'll be a very good coach long term. Like 11.19 here on SENZ. Uh, when we return, we've got a text or two to talk about. Uh, and also... <coughs> Uh, we've got uh, uh, an interesting competition on behalf of loveracing.nz you might like to uh, think about. You win it, you're in good shape. I can promise you that. Details shortly. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Yeah, 11.25 uh, here on SCNZ. Uh, hey, fellas, just uh, wanting Smithy's thoughts on Jeff Cridge signing for the Waratahs. Being a Hawks Bay lad, well, Jeff Cridge is another giant of a man who had a heck of a season last year. Uh, I understand Tom Parsons has gone to the Hurricanes uh, to cover for that injury to uh, Dominic Bird. But yes, Jeff Cridge uh, can play six as well. Uh, really versatile, really big unit, great ball handler, uh, busy. Uh, I thought he was one of the standout players for Hawke's Bay last year. And uh, I think it's a shame that he couldn't manage to find a home in New Zealand. But he will find a good one at the Waratahs and he'll be good for them. So I predict a good season for Jeff Cridge. And I hope uh, that COVID... Um, that horrible COVID or Omicron or whatever you like to call it these days will give the opportunity so we can see uh, those particular franchises go head to head and uh, I'd like to see him go up against some New Zealand players who uh, have got the position perhaps he might have deserved. Kerry's come on and said uh, you might like this one uh, John uh, I can't get my head around most people thinking Roger Tuivasa-Shek would be in the All Blacks if there was a team picked tomorrow. Really? He hasn't even played yet. I don't think he will be as good as everyone thinks going to take time, uh, a lot of playing time, uh, and we're not short of midfielders. Kerry says he's happy to be wrong, John, but I'm not sure you're an RTS fan, aren't you? I am. I just think when you're the best player in the NRL, and we've seen how good the athletes are there, that when you come back over to rugby, I don't think they're that different these days, especially in defensive systems. Um, so I think defensively he'll fit in very well. Sure, uh, on attack, maybe his kicking game being a 12 is something he might need to work on, but Ma'anonu was able to do that over time and add things slowly to his game. I just think the base of Roger Tuivasa-Sheik's game is extremely solid. And when we're looking for 12s around the country, Smithy, uh, specialist 12s, we've got Quintu Pyre, who's a youngster who's just come through really his mm-hmm. first season of All Blacks rugby. We tried David Haveli there, who reluctantly was a 12. Uh, we've got Jack Goodhue to come back from injury. He's a reluctant 12 as well. He's more of a 13. Anton Leonard-Brown, more of a 13. Rico Yuani a 13. So I'm looking around, Smithy, and I'm thinking, where are the 12s that would beat out Roger Tuivasa-Shek for an all-black jersey if a team was named tomorrow and he hasn't even played a game? OK, fourth right there, John. Uh, so that may answer your question, Kerry. It probably doesn't. Uh, but however, uh, we've talked before about uh, the Lonsdale Cup winner, uh, being Lisa Carrington, not for the first time. Uh, according to me, that's the third time. Valerie Adams and uh, when she was uh, Valerie Veely has won it five times. So three times for Lisa Carrington this morning, uh, John. 
uh, last year's recipients, Peter Burling and Blair Chook. Yeah, I was just trying to think what happened last year and what Burling and Chook must have won a 49er uh, world Championship, just as they do in between winning America's Cups and things like that because it's awarded to someone in an Olympic sport. So they can't get it for America's Cup. Uh, because that's not an Olympic sport. So, yeah, it must have been a 49er boat. But Lisa, I mean, you can't argue with that. Uh, and if she's going to go through to Paris and win more champ- world championships in kayaking and more gold medals, it won't be the last time she wins the Lonsdale Cup either. So very prestigious, Smithy. I know you've cast your eye through the list of previous winners, and it started off with a couple of not bad ones. Yeah, it started off uh, back in uh, 1961 with a fellow by the name of Murray Halberg you might have heard of. Then Peter Snell, Bill Bailey, Peter Snell again. Then I got to you, John, didn't I, with some ones you hadn't heard of because of your relative youth, but the likes of uh, Don Oliver, Dave McKenzie, Ian Ballinger, Jeff Julian, Harry Kent. Uh, I think you should go home over the weekend and study the Lonsdale Belt and its history. Yeah. I might give you might give you a test on uh, Monday. I didn't uh, actually, know any I'll of those, Smithy. I'm um, sorry, and just an update on Lydia. She's in the clubhouse at oh, yeah. nine under par, so she's got a two-shot lead after the opening round wow. of the LPGA Tour event in Florida, and nine birdies as well, no bogeys. So Lydia Cole, holy moly. It's going to be her year, I reckon. And just before we uh, ask you to call in for Stump Smithy for the weekend's money, um, there's a, a racing promo going on as well, Love Racing. Thoroughbred owners, loveracing.co.nz uh, and New Zealand Bloodstock want to grab you and your mates and enter a team to win. If your team is successful, you'll be walking away with a 10% share in a racehorse purchased at Caraca uh, coming up in the sales in about a month and a half. Uh, training fees covered for two years. You travel to Auckland for a VIP experience at Vodafone Derby Day and uh, Caraca 2022 out at the sales itself. And uh, you can enter now at loveracing.newzealand slash share the thrill. Loveracing.newzealand slash share the thrill and get into that uh, competition uh, run by New Zealand Bloodstock. Imagine the prize if, uh, uh, and enjoying the prize if you win it from there. 11.30 here on SENZ 0800 150 is our number to win our competition going into the weekend. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport. Certainly is when it comes to his multis. Uh, you should be following them in 2022. He's bought in five out of nine so far, and they normally pay three, four, or five dollars with the recent ones. So get on board those multis. You can check uh, them out on our social media pages, uh, SCNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, but right now, we are giving away 50 bucks from the TAB, as well as some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep, uh, sleep and stress support supplements. Jade from Hamilton, have you played before? Welcome. Uh, yeah, I think I before. Yep, yep. Right, well, welcome back. Um, are you able to get to Seddon Park tomorrow, if you wanted to, to watch the Super Smash finals? Uh, unfortunately, we're heading down to Wellington this weekend, so um, I couldn't get there. No, sorry. Oh, unlucky. Off to Wellington. Uh, double unlucky. Really? Have you packed uh-huh. your rain jacket? Uh, I've got a good time driving here, so we'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. Always going to Wellington, you've got to pack a really big bag of all sorts of clothes. But anyway, that's by the by. You want to win the prizes. So three sporting categories. You choose one, get them all right, you win. Get one wrong, and Smithy can stump you. So your categories today are motorsport, athletics, or winter Olympics. Tis the season. Which one do you like, Jade? I will go... We'll go motorsport, eh? 
Motorsport, all right. Not too keen on your Winter Olympics yet. We're all trying to learn, so we'll go motorsport. Maybe after the Winter Olympics, you'll be more confident to go for that one. Yeah, I might do a gnarly. <laughs> Keep it sick, that's right. Question number one, motorsport. Kiwi land speed icon Burt Munro was famous for setting land speed records on his motorcycles with engines less than 1,000cc and in 2005 was immortalised on the silver screen in the movie The World's Fastest Indian. Which famous Hollywood actor played the Kiwi from Invercargill? Oh, Anthony Hopkins. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Great movie, that one, Smithy, and a great answer from Jade. Yeah, good one. First up, um, Hannibal Lecter riding a motorbike. (laughs) And peeing on the lemon tree. Always enjoyed that, Burt Munro. (laughs) Classic. All right, question number two. How many supercars titles has Shane Van Gisbergen won? Uh, Three. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct. Smithy, chance for a stumping. Yeah, I'm going to say four. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Just the two, 2016 and last year for the Giz. So you are still alive, Jade. Awesome. Awesome. On to the last one. Get this right. You get the sleep drops. You get the 50 bucks. The two Scots, Dixon and McLaughlin, are our Kiwi representatives in IndyCar, but unfortunately neither won the title in 2021. Who was the champion of the IndyCars last year? Oh. Got a strike. Uh, I can't think of his name. So I'm going to have to pass on that. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, do you know who won the IndyCar title last year? Uh, no, it was head to head, you know, and really, really close. Uh, um, I'm just trying to rack my brain, but I, I honestly, I, I don't. I, 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 I'm not sure he's Scottish. Uh, is he Scottish? Um, uh, it's not. It's not willpower. It's not. Um, nah. Honestly, um, I'm just thinking of um, those names: New Garden. Uh, uh, nah, I can't. I'm sorry. One no, of I the worst things and, I have yeah, ever seen sorry. done on a cricket field. No, it was. It was time for the new breed last year, and it was Alex Pillow, the 24-year-old, who won the IndyCar title last year. So we all oh. learnt something. This morning, and we have learnt, Jay, that you've won 50 bucks. No sleep drops, though, mate, but you have won the 50 bucks from the TAB. Well done. Awesome, and we'll pay for a bit of petrol money this week, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, nice. (laughs) like it. It will. It will. It will indeed. And drive safely, uh, Jade, and uh, thanks very much for listening. Congratulations. Stay on the line. uh, And, uh, of course, Brian will get your details uh, if you do that. Well done. Congratulations to you, John. So, yeah. Cheers, man. Uh, we've got to do our pacing for purpose as well, um, John, in the, the next few minutes or so, uh, and talk to Mick Guerin. Shall we just do the pacing for purpose now? Shall I yeah, now? I think that's a good idea, especially if I could find the little jingle. Um, this one. Okay. Yep. Get NASA on the phone. He is in another orbit. Lazarus does it again. SNZ is pacing for purpose. Thanks to Harness Racing New Zealand. Yep, all the shows are competitive uh, in this particular competition. Breakfast, mornings, afternoons and the run home. The run home are leading with 1270 bucks, and uh, everyone has got a, 
uh, separate charity. Ours is Women's Refuge. Uh, we are third at the moment uh, on 760 bucks. We need more money. So tomorrow we've gone to Invercargill Race 7. Um, so we haven't, no, Meeting 7, Race 3, sorry. Invercargill Meeting 7, Race 3, Horse Number 2, Watch List. Horse Number 2, Watch List is our pacing for purpose uh, horse going into the weekend. And on the subject of harness racing, who better to talk to in New Zealand than Mick Guerin? He's coming up. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. 11.43 here too, and uh, as usual at this time on a Friday, we catch up with our uh, trotting expert, uh, Mick Guerin, who I saw him uh, frantically running around the birdcage, etc., working very hard, interviewing all sorts of dignitaries uh, at Ellerslie last Saturday night. Uh, Mick, uh, good morning to you. Um, interesting night that was. And a great weekend of trotting lined up with meetings at Addington, Invercargill and Methven over the three days. Hey, good morning, Smithy. Sorry I missed you last week. Um, I was trying to pretend I was important and busy. Sometimes, Smithy, I just run up to people and start talking to them so I make a good impression and people <laughs> think I'm busy. But we managed to get plenty of interviews to lay in. And you're right, it was, it was a great night. It's one of those nights which I'm glad we got out of the way before the red light settings because it would have been a, a real shame to not have all those people on track to enjoy it. Um, those red light settings are going to affect both codes heading forward as we realise. Trenton tomorrow uh, going with a far smaller crowd than they would like for Wellington Cup Day. And for the harness racing, as you mentioned, they come up at Addington tonight, uh, Invercargill tomorrow, and Methven. They, they were probably never days that were going to have thousands of people there, but they will have pods of 100 or rooms or tents or whatever you want to call them where it's 100 per, per, uh, per, per venue and that means they might have 400 people on track or 500. So really tough time for the racing clubs coming up in the country while we're in red because you know, they, unlike a bar which has infrastructure that can have 100 people there all the time, if you set up in the Cardinal tomorrow, Smithy, for four or five different entry points, and four or five different mm. rooms, and then you don't do it again for two weeks. You have to wonder whether economically the scale is there. I spoke to one racing club recently, Ian, and they said for them to open a room, uh, one of the rooms they were talking about, it was 76 people was how many they needed before they made their first dollar. That's obviously paying the staff and getting all the food in. Well, if that means you're 76 people deep before you make a dollar, and you're only allowed 100 people, that means you're only making profit on 24 people. So it's a really interesting one for clubs to say, well, do we bother doing this? Because unlike a pub where it's set up to do it every day again and again and again, do you bother doing if you're racing once a month? So tricky time for the racing clubs, um, but the good news is the racing will continue, and Addington mm. tonight, the first of those kicks off at 10 past five. And uh, have you got anything... Uh, likely for us uh, over the weekend, like anything, even even the short one, if we can multi into something. Well, I tell you what, don't come any shorter than race five tonight. The best horse racing tonight is called Muscle Mountain. He's a good horse. We've got some really beautiful trotters in the country as opposed to paces at the moment. He's one of them. Uh, he'll be winning race five tonight. He'll just trot on to the lead. It's only a dollar fifteen. You're not going to get any fun out of that unless you take a multi, but. Um, yeah, he's a very good horse, and if he wins tonight, he'll head to Alexandra Park for their huge meeting on February the 12th. They've got this new meeting in Auckland called the Harness Million, February 12th, and he'll race Bolt for Brilliance and Sunday Sun. 
So that's a serious horse and a serious horse race. Mm. He's in race five. I like one a little bit tonight in race seven, Smithy, and it's more each way, probably more like a dollar a win, four dollars a place play. A horse called Bella Montana. Now, she's had a funny old time. She had a year away with injury. Hasn't won a race for two years, but she's been racing at the absolute highest level. Takes on the mares tonight. She may not beat better twist. This is race seven. Addington tonight. Yeah. Bella Montana is eight. Better twist is nine. She's a good place, but she's 270 a place. So people out there listening have their cappuccino money or their beer money. They've got five or ten dollars to bet responsibly with. You could have your three dollars a win, seven dollars a place. She runs a place, you double your money. Uh, she wins, you end up making your fifty dollars for the night. So that's Bella Montana each way, race seven, even though better twist will be hard to beat. I just think the way the race stacks up and on the big track at Addington, Bella Montana gets her chance tonight. Okay, um, and of course you'll be busy with us over the weekend as usual with uh, your relative shows, Mick. Mate, we've got um, the mail run tomorrow morning with Louie and a, a big team. Robert Wellwood's going to join us. We're going to be joined by uh, Andrew Forsman. We're going to talk all about Trenton tomorrow. We're going to talk to Emily Brown about the move of the Brown stable to, to, to Cranbourne in Australia. So mm. big, big show coming up tomorrow. We'll get a big ownership guest at 9 o'clock to talk about what it's like to own between 80 and 100 horses. That's all coming up tomorrow on the mail run. And then our midday on Sunday, Greg O'Connor and I on Trot's Talk. That's just to review what's happened in the harness racing, talk about all the things heading forward, and, of course, the sales that are just around the corner, and we'll talk about how the red traffic light settings will affect the harness racing sales on Trot's Talk on Sunday, Smitty. So plenty of harness racing on the Herald this morning. If you feel like having a read of some harness racing stories, nzherald.co.nz has got plenty of those racing, harness racing, all sorts of stuff, Smithy. And hopefully we can all back a winner uh, as we're all still on a bit of a high after last Sunday, Ian. Yes, well, we well, are. Saturday, uh, some of us are yeah, some of us are on a, uh, a slight higher than others, but that's all right, Michael. Uh, he's just, I know this is a harness racing segment, but uh, I can't let you go uh, without giving us uh, your perspective. Winner. Now that Wysaki's out of the Wellington Cup, it's blown it wide open, really, I suspect. But it's such a famous, favourite old race of mine, and going back in time to as far back as Lufa uh, and all those great horses, Bill Skelton, etc. Uh, what about a Wellington Cup uh, suggestion? Look, I'm exactly the same as you. It's a race I love more than I should love it because often it's not a very good field, but I think of Castletown and all those wonderful horses. You know what I reckon's got a great chance of winning it tomorrow? Stephen Marsh. Mm -hmm. He's got Lincoln King and Starry Beal, and they're both just old hackers, and they'll keep going at the same speed. Crucially, Smithy, he's got two great riders, Michael McNabb and Craig Grills are now favourites, equal favourites to win the Premiership because of the injuries to Danny L. Johnson and Lisa Walpress. Punters who want to bet on the Wellington Cup but don't have a horse they like, which pretty much sums up you and me, Smithy, could do worse than mm. taking them both. You put your $10 on Lincoln King and your $10 on Starry Beal, you get two bites at the cherry, either of them wins, you make your $50. Always bet responsibly, don't bet the, the, the rent money, but I reckon tomorrow Stephen Marsh gets his chance maybe to win the Wellington Cup. I'm just not sure which one. Okay, Mick, uh, as always, thank you very much. Uh, I'll be listening to uh, the mail run first thing in the morning. Look forward to you and Louis, as always. Thanks. Uh, have a great weekend. Thanks for the time, mate.
Yeah, yes. Uh, just repeating uh, the multi for uh, our particular show over the weekend. We're five and four. We're going good at the moment. So stick with us. Barty to beat Collins, uh, and that's in uh, the women's tennis final, the Australian Open, uh, and the final of the Super Smash for women. It is the Wellington Blaze to beat the Otago Sparks. Uh, this afternoon in the basketball, always a bit hesitant with the basketball, but I'm going to put my faith in Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors to beat the, the Minnesota Timberwolves at a buck 37. Uh, Medvedev, uh, I think he'll beat Tsitsipas uh, in the men's semi-final tonight. Just a little bit too much class, I think. Uh, and Sydney FC to beat the Central Coast Mariners in the A-League over the weekend as well, $1.72. Comes up to just shy of 6 bucks, about $5.90. That is our mouldy for the weekend. Uh, and speaking uh, of changing over, uh, we're changing over to staff very shortly, uh, and we'll have a chat to him before midday.